Welcome to Mind Love, episode 284. Today's episode is all about how to befriend your nervous system for mind-body balance using polyvagal theory. Right, we come into the world with with an expectation, of a biological expectation that will be met by a regulated human who will then, you know, care for us in certain ways um, as we learn to navigate the world. And for so many of us, we did that didn't happen. We didn't come into the world and, you know, into the arms of a regulated human or a predictably regulated human. And our, our home environment or our community environment was not one that, that sent a neuroception of safety to our nervous system. And because of that, we needed to depend on our survival states to in order to, to navigate the world with some sense of, of okayness. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind Love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Do you ever, or even often, feel anxious, stressed, or disconnected from your body? The sad thing is, I think a lot of us do without even realizing it. Stressed, anxious, and depressed has become the new baseline for a lot of people. So why is it that so many of our nervous systems are out of whack? Frankly, if we just look at our lifestyles, it makes sense. Well, sort of. On one hand, we have more comforts, conveniences, and luxuries than we have ever had before. But on the other hand, we also have more distractions and pressures than we've ever had before. Yeah, we might not have to hunt for food while avoiding lions, but we've just received three text messages 28 social media notifications, seven urgent emails, and a phone call from the IRS while a toddler is screaming and throwing your homemade casserole on the floor. I'd kind of rather take the lion, (laughs) but I've always been good with cats. There's a really interesting theory called polyvagal theory. It's an approach to understanding our nervous systems and how it affects our mind and bodies. We'll get into more detail in this episode, but I'll give you the gist. The basic concept is that the nervous system is kind of like a control center in our body that helps us deal with all sorts of different situations. And it has three parts that each do different things. The first part is called the sympathetic nervous system. It's like the uh-oh button that gets pressed when we're scared or we're in danger. It makes our heart beat faster, our breathing quicker, and our muscles ready to act. The second part is called the parasympathetic nervous system. It's like the ah, okay button that gets pressed when we're safe and relaxed. It makes our heart beat slower, our breathing calmer, and it helps our body rest and digest food. The third part is called the ventral vagal complex. It's like the let's be friends button that helps us control our emotions and behavior when we're around other people. It helps us feel like we belong and connect with others. And don't worry, like I said, you'll get a refresh about all of this coming up in the interview. But according to the polyvagal theory, our nervous systems are constantly adapting to our environments. And it does this automatically. But we can influence this process through mindfulness. 
And I know mindfulness has become such a buzzword that it's almost lost its meaning, but a big part of this podcast is bringing that meaning back because it is a big deal. So just in case the word is going in one ear and out the other, mindfulness is all about paying attention to the present moment without judgment. It's basically being intentional about what your mind is focusing on rather than letting it run on autopilot. So just think about that for a moment. Think about the power you have. By becoming aware and intentional, we can actually influence our autonomic body processes. So how do you use mindfulness to befriend your nervous system and achieve mind-body balance with the polyvagal theory? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Dr. Deb Dana. She's a clinician and consultant specializing in using the lens of polyvagal theory to understand and resolve the impact of trauma while honoring the role of the autonomic nervous system. So three key things that we will learn are how to listen to our autonomic nervous systems, how our connection with other people and the world around us affects our nervous systems, and how to anchor our nervous systems to guide them back to safety. I have always been someone who's prioritized wellness. Well, at least what I understood about it at the time, which has definitely evolved. But now I live in a town where some of my conveniences just aren't as accessible as when I lived in L.A., then I found Aloe Moves and my whole experience changed. I've been an avid yogi for 16 years, but frankly, I am just underwhelmed by most online yoga. Their flows are either too easy or not varied enough. Well, Aloe Moves has everything. Of course, they have an endless selection of beginner content since that is the category most people fall into, but they even have advanced and yoga teacher focused content. They are the only online platform that I can find that I can narrow down the time that I'm looking for precisely. Like, I have 38 minutes today. What you got? <laughs> they have something for every mood. Trying to get a good sweat? Try their award-winning workouts like sweat-inducing yoga flows, hit classes, or reformer Pilates workouts with or without weights. Or find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and even journaling for those quiet moments. And when it comes to sleep, it's just as important as fitness and nutrition. Ever since I watched The Art of Sleep on Allo Moves, I've been falling asleep faster and staying asleep longer. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to allomoves.com now and use code MINDLOVE for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com code MINDLOVE. allomoves.com code MINDLOVE. And now let's welcome Dr. Deb Dana to the show. Thanks. It's lovely to be here with you. So to start out, let's get with the basics. What is polyvagal theory and what inspired your work into the nervous system? So I'll start with what inspired me first. I'm a, I'm a um, social worker and I've always believed that we should understand our brains and bodies. So when I work with, with my own system or with clients, I think it's important to to understand our biology. So when I read Steve's um, book and discovered the polyvagal theory in the nervous system, it was as if a missing piece of a puzzle fell into place with me. I had already been working with the brain and brain systems, but this was like, oh, this comes before the brain. This informs the brain. And so as if a light bulb went off and then I just couldn't stop wanting to bring polyvagal theory to my clients. I think I drove my colleagues crazy because I kept experimenting with them. They were my test pilots as I was trying out ways of making this science that can feel complicated, easily accessible, which then leads us to what is polyvagal theory. And it's really a, a theory of how 
your nervous system works and your nervous system is at the heart of your daily experience. It is where everything begins in this body system that is made up of, of um, states and parts and, and, and three organizing principles that I really think are so important neuroception hierarchy co-regulation and so as i embarked on this journey i knew people wanted to to understand and i thought i have to make it simple but i think these words are really important for every human to understand so i've i've stuck with them and they're becoming more commonly understood and used so neuroception is steve porges's word for how the nervous system takes in information how how it listens because it listens not with our brain but below the level of our brain with our body system that is a, a non-aware system and so perception didn't really work it wasn't an accurate word so he he coins the term neuroception and neuroception uses three pathways all the time, moment to moment, listening inside our bodies. So it's listening to what's going on inside. It's listening to what's going on in the world around us. And it's listening to what's going on between our nervous system and another nervous system. So in this moment in time, your nervous system and my nervous system are getting to know each other. Our brains are directing traffic with language and, and um, you know questions, but our nervous systems are feeling each other out. You know, does it feel welcoming or does it feel like a warning in what's happening in that space between? And I think that's the beauty of understanding that way the nervous system works is that that this conversation is always going on. And when we learn how to listen to it, we get so much information. So that's neuroception. And then very quickly, neuroception, if it if it brings in a sense of safety, moves me in one direction. If it If it brings in a state of unsafety, moves me in another. And the ways we move are that second organizing principle called hierarchy, which simply means that we have three basic states our nervous system chooses from. One that's safety and connection and two survival states. And we we enter into them in a certain predictable order. And so if neuroception says, ooh, this feels safe, right? Melissa feels safe to, to be with, then I enter into this state of regulation and connection. Right. But if it feels for some reason, you know, a bit unsafe, I may enter into one of the two survival states. One is sympathetic fight and flight that most of us are familiar with. And the other one is what we call dorsal. And it's a state of, of collapse, shutdown, sort of floating away, a bit, not really present here. So that's hierarchy. We have these three states, safety connection and two survival states. And then the third organizing principle that we just want to mention is co-regulation, which simply means that in order to truly thrive in our lives, we need to have safe others that we can connect with. I really appreciate understanding some of the scientific principles behind things because I found that when I understand that, I actually retain the information better, which almost seems counterintuitive because sometimes it'll be over my head and so I've got to like spend a little more time there. But otherwise, it's just like, here's a method for something and I don't know why, I don't know how. And so I try to understand all of that as as what, as what much as I can so that the information will stick with me because it's information that when I do learn that, usually I end up being able to apply it to other things. It's not just this textbook thing. It's actually something that I understand in my life. And so I guess that brings me to the question, say we do get to really know what this system does and, and how to work with it in this episode, 
how does that benefit us? What, how, what does that give us the opportunity to do within our lives? Yeah. So, so, you know, and first of all, I just want to say, I love that you love to get to know the why, right? Which really is what we're talking about. Why is, is this happening? And our biology tells us that, right? Our, our brain makes up a story that that's trying to make sense of what's happening in our body, but our body is really where we want to go to, to, to know the, the why is this happening. So I love that you're on that journey with me. So thank you for that. And how does this benefit us? You know, when we can find our way to regulation, to ventral, it's called ventral vagal connection and safety regulation, then we have access to compassion, self-compassion, curiosity, purpose, passion, connection, communication, all of these things that that really make life um, interesting to live. It can be joyful. It can be it can be playful. It can be purposeful. All of those things are possible when our nervous system is regulated. When we leave regulation, we lose the ability for any of those things. Then we are no longer able to attend to moving through life with purpose and passion. We are totally focused on survival. So not only does all of that um, get interrupted, but our physical well-being is also impacted. You know, research shows us that in ventral, we are healthy humans, right? We, we experience well-being, both physical and psychological well-being. And when we are pulled into survival states and get stuck there, we then suffer with physical and psychological um, distress, right? And, and again, it's the getting stuck there that's important because all of us move in and out of regulation many times a day. Right, I'm nearing the end of my day. I'm on central time. And I if I reflect on my day, I think, wow, I have, you know, held on to regulation for a good part of the day, but there are moments when I was pulled into survival energy and found my way back. And it's the finding my way back that we want to learn to do. When we get stuck in dysregulation in a survival state, then we suffer. So that's, you know, for people listening, thinking, oh, I get pulled out all the time not a problem. Can you find your way back? That's really what we're, what we're teaching when we're working with the nervous system is how to come back to regulation, where I call home. I call that our home, right? We come home to regulation because, in fact, that home is built into every human nervous system, right? And for some of us, we haven't found our way there perhaps as, as easily or as often as we want. Maybe regulation has been a place that we haven't visited you know, often lately, but it still is inside all of us. It's, it's wired into our biology. Why do some people have more of a tendency to get stuck there? Uh, well, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on our early experience, right? We come into the world with, with an expectation, of a, a biological expectation that will be met by a regulated human who will then, you know, care for us in certain ways um, as we learn to navigate the world. And for so many of us, we did that didn't happen. We didn't come into the world and, you know, into the arms of a regulated human or a predictably regulated human. And our, our home environment or our community environment was not one that, that sent a neuroception of safety to our nervous system. And because of that, we needed to depend on our survival states to in order to to navigate the world with some sense of, of okayness, right? And so if that happened for us early on, or, you know, if we suffered a, a series of traumatic events, um, then we get wired patterns of protection rather than patterns of connection. 
you know, the, the hopeful news, the, the, the wonderful news from polyvagal theory is that we're not, we're not stuck in those patterns forever. We can rewire those patterns. But it does help us understand if we reflect on our early experience, oh, my system took me to fight or flight because that was the safe place. Or my system took me to disappearing, becoming invisible, flying under the radar because that was the safe place. It wasn't safe for me to be out there and, you know, feeling, you know, connected to another. There wasn't another to connect to. So that's really how, how those patterns get built. And then we, we enter into those patterns so easily as, as adults, don't we? And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I don't know about you, but I have some serious concerns when it comes to my tap water quality. And by concerns, I mean it's absolutely rancid, and I don't even drink it at restaurants. <laughs> Research shows that water coming through the pipes into most homes contains a ton of contaminants. We're talking chlorine, fluoride, heavy metals, and even emerging chemicals like PFAS. I mean, have you seen the inside of your plumbing pipes? Let's be real, there's no way long-term exposure to this isn't damaging, especially if pregnant or with little ones. Now, I'm not saying we need to panic, but proactively filtering out the bad stuff seems obvious to me, and those cheap filters won't cut it either. What I personally use and recommend is a reverse osmosis system like AquaTrue. Their four-stage filtration removes over 80 potential toxins, way more protection than water filters or faucet add-ons provide. And the best part is AquaTrue's countertop model requires zero installation. It hooks right up to your sink. And unlike brand name competitors, their filters only need replacing every six months to two years, thanks to a patented membrane technology. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MIND at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code M-I-N-D. without even knowing it usually where we're just oh here I am again right <laughs> yeah i am pregnant right now uh, and i have a 
20 month old. And I will say that since I've gone having children or really the last pregnancy, all of a sudden I'm, I'm just so aware of how intentional I want to be, what things I don't want to naturally pass down. And it's like right now, this little thing inside me is completely depending on me for that co-regulation. And so I can see how if you were raised with a mom that's always stressed out, even if she was a good mom, she could just be really stressed out. And that's how she acts even after you're born. That's what's not only modeled for you, but we're so much more connected than we think we are. We are, our cells are constantly communicating with each other. We're feeling each other's energies. So even if that mom is holding it all in, but just kind of stressed inside her body, we're going to pick that up. Right. Through your, through neuroception. Right. And it doesn't matter what I say. It's what my nervous system is saying. It's not what my words are. It's my nervous system. So yes, if I'm, if I'm a mom that is feeling overwhelmed and overloaded and with a to-do list that just never gets any shorter, you know, even though I have the best intentions for my children, if I'm in that state of anxiety and worry, that's the neuroception I'm sending. That's the warning my nervous system is sending to my child's nervous system. And before we go too far down that rabbit hole, we want to remember that, you know, there's wonderful research. Um, Ed Tronic did wonderful research letting us know that, you know, we only have to be in that um attuned place about 30% of the time in order for our kids to grow up with healthy attachments. So don't, don't fear, right? For, for you, it's like breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> what makes the difference between healthy attachment and, and the, the attachment that causes relationship problems is that the other 70% of the time we recognize we have been misattuned. We have been sending cues of disconnection and we come and we make a repair. When we find our way back to regulation, we come back and we make a repair. So that's the, again, hopeful news from the nervous system, right? You don't have to do it right all the time. You just have to learn how to come back and make the repair. That is so important. I was just talking to a friend about this who was stressed out about her stress, <laughs> which was making it worse. This last year, I was telling her how I've been really impressed with the parenting that I've seen because I was, last time I was pregnant, I stayed with her and I was just watching the way she was interacting with her son, the way she talked to him. And I was like, oh, I'm taking mental notes right here. And I shared that with her and I think she needed to hear it. She's like, this last year has just been really hard. And it brought up a conversation about how I really believe exactly what you just said, where I think it's almost more powerful to have a mistake, a blip, whatever, like you lose your cool and then you handle it in a healthy way. Like mommy needs a moment. And then she comes back and says something along the lines of, you know, I, I had big feelings. I took a break. Like I, I should not have done that. I, that's not how I want to be. Whatever you decide to say, I feel like that would, that would influence me even more than having a mother. That's just the Zen monk the whole time, because it's so impossible to, replicate. <laughs> and so <laughs> then you might be thinking as a child, like, I can't live up to my mom. Like she's practically a, a Buddhist monk. And so, but what else do we, do we need to know anything else about how the autonomic nervous system works to really understand what we're going to be getting into? Um, you know, it's really, it, that's pretty basic. It It is sort of, I guess the thing we would say is it it doesn't assign motivation or make moral meaning. It's simply enacts a response based on neuroception, right? So it's not that I'm 
you know, choosing to disconnect. It's not that I'm choosing to yell at you or walk out on you. It's that my nervous system has enacted a response and has taken me in that direction. So I think if we think about that, we look at another person and we, we look, we say, not unwilling, unable, right? You know, biologically unavailable in this moment. It changes the way we think about the other person because we, we, our brains want to make up a story about, you know, why motivation, moral meaning. And if we can make that story about dysregulation, we can then be, you know, somewhat kinder, gentler, more curious, and it helps the relationship, whether it's parent, child, partner, colleague, friend, doesn't matter. It, it, when we look at the other and go, oh, they're dysregulated in this moment, then I think we have a chance at, at um, bringing some kindness to the, to the connection. When we can do that for ourselves, right, to, to, to not be in a moment and then, you know, that self-judging critical part starts talking, <laughs> right? But in, instead of going with that, you know, say, oh, I'm dysregulated, right? I have been pulled away from my ventral regulation and I am now entering into, you know, whichever of those survival states is, it helps. And sometimes we can't do it in the moment, but we can come back to it and reflect on it and say, oh, I was sort of, you know, sort of in crazy land this morning because I was dysregulated, right? I didn't want to be there, but my nervous system felt it was important to keep me safe, it took me to that place. That's, I think, what we need to keep remembering. That's that tuning in to what the nervous system is doing with some some awareness and understanding. I had that same realization when I was first understanding how the brain worked and understanding that it does have a negativity bias to keep me safe. <laughs> because I remember trying to understand, why can't I change all of these negative thoughts? Why am I always thinking the worst? Why am I judging? In the, especially in the beginning of really trying to live more intentionally or in the self-development journey. But you're right, the nervous system came first evolutionarily. That's what was first developed. That's the first thing before we even get access to the brain. And that nervous system is going to affect the brain and that negativity bias and our ability to override it also. Whereas so many of us are focused on the brain, we're kind of skipping over such a huge process that we need in order to understand why the brain's doing what it's doing. Yeah, that what, what I what I teach is that your your state creates your story. And we love to go to story because we humans are storytelling beings. And we think if I can change the story, everything will be fine. But if your state is is one of survival, you can't create a story of safety and connection, right? Because if the brain and the and the nervous system are are in an argument or in a fight. Your nervous system's going to win that battle every time. So we need to go beneath the brain to the nervous system, work on changing the state, bringing ourselves back to regulation, and then the story organically will change along with it. One of the things you teach in your book is around moving between those states and specifically a tool called the, the vagal break. How do we use that in order to get access to this usually sort of autonomic process? Yeah, so so the vagal break is this brilliant piece of our biology that is a, um, it's a ventral vagal circuit and it goes from your brain stem to your heart and it goes to the sinoatrial node of your heart, which is your heart's pacemaker. And it's, its sole job is to um, increase and decrease the amount of sympathetic mobilizing energy you have in your system. And it does it 
um, by by allowing sympathetic energy in, but keeping you out of the sympathetic survival state of fight and flight. So when we need a little more energy to to go for a run or to get to the grocery store quickly or to you know any of these things that we need energy for, we need to move for our vagal break will release a little bit so that we have access to that energy. And then when we want to come back to a state of more calm, we want to rest for a moment, the vagal break will re-engage and the sympathetic energy goes to the background. And really, we're doing this all the time, every day, right? When you and I are having a conversation, as I'm talking, my vagal break releases to give me energy to talk. And then when it's your turn to talk and my turn to listen, it re-engages so that I can relax and sit back and listen, right? And so if you think about simple things like maybe you have a friend who has a hard time having a conversation, they, they just need to talk, 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 right? Their vagal break is struggling to, to do that, relax and re-engage, right? So all of this, even, you know, a friend who you might say, oh my God, I can't get a word in edgewise, right? If we look at their biology, it's a vagal break efficiency problem, right? You know, if you think about kids, you know, kids, they're playful and they get really sort of to that edge. And and another moment, they're going to go over the edge into, into um, you know, overwhelm or, or out of control. And, you know, someone comes along, mom, dad, older sister, grandma, whoever, and just helps them just calm down just a little bit. That's a vagal break exercise. They reach it and then they calm down. And then they go back and they calm down, right? And that's what we need when we're growing up, people around us to help us have that vagal break exercise, that experience. And if we missed that growing up, then in our adulthood, we can feel that. You know, maybe, you know, I need to talk all the time or I have a hard time slowing down, right? That Because I didn't get that experience growing up. And again, we can build that experience. We can practice that. We can, our vagal break can, can work more efficiently. So, you know, vagal break is, is such an important part of our um, biology and so important for being healthy and being able to engage, you know, with the world in a way that, that um, feels connecting and with others in healthy relationships. So, you know, one of the ways we can think about it is, um, you know, I, I use, I use um, a metaphor, an image, um, usually when I'm working with people, you know, think of something that you can control the size, the shape, the, the flow of, right? And that becomes the image of your vagal break. And it could be a, you know, a dimmer switch on a light or a volume control knob or curtains you open and close, something that you can manipulate in that way. And then when, you know, we think about, oh, I need a little more energy right now. You know, like I'm, I'm thinking my, my grandkids are coming over tonight. I better have some energy. Right? <laughs> so I may need to release my vagal break just a little bit. I need to turn up the volume a little bit. So I have a little bit more in my system. And then when they leave, you know, I can turn the volume back down again. And so I, I can rest. Right. So it is something we can learn to actively operate. And that makes life um, moving between things and transitioning and finding the energy we need more easily accessible thing, right? doesn't always work. Certainly that there are moments when I'm overwhelmed and I, it's like, nope, it's not going to work. Right. And that's okay. That's okay. Again, it, it's, it's practice. And as we practice, we get better at it. Yeah. I was actually thinking about myself in my twenties when I was prescribed Adderall, I was that person that could not let somebody have a have a word in. And I remember specifically this one experience. And I think it was when I was developing more awareness because I had sort of gone 
into the self-development journey, trying to be a better friend, trying to be listen to myself better. And that was one of the reasons why I was really motivated to get off of it because I was realizing how many of my processes that it would sort of take control over. And that was one of them. And I just remember like talking to a friend and it was like, there were two voices in my head. One of them was just observing saying like, sit down. Like you want to hear what she has to say. What you're saying is not even that important. And the other one was like a, a wild puppy. Just like, I just have to get this story. in. I have to tell you three more stories about my life because somehow we're not going to get through this conversation. If you don't know what happened to me when I was seven and a half. <laughs> right. Right. It's a lovely example of your vagal break being, being, you know, released too far. And I love that you had that other voice. You know, you had a bit of ventral observing energy, but there wasn't the capacity to, to grab the vagal break and, and, you know, re-engage it a bit. So that's true for so many of us. And it's true for all of us sometimes. There are those moments when you watch yourself and you go, oh, not good. And yet you just <laughs> keep on going, right? You, you can't stop, right? So you know, the nervous system has a mind of its own. And, and there are times when the vagal break, when you have to work really, really hard to Sometimes those it. negative states just feel addicting. Like, especially when I'm like mad at my husband and I'm like, nope, I'm going to stay in this. And I'm like, have that other voice. But why? You're not happier here. This isn't helping anything. This isn't adding to your life. So I've got to like negotiate between the two, sit down, take a break, and then come back and be a little better. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. And get this, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? Two words living intentionally. We have to take full responsibility for every area of our lives, including our health, which also includes our air. And that's why I love my air doctor. As a reminder, when you support my sponsors, you also support the show. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants, so your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants like allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I live in the mountains, and our air is pretty great. When I drive home, I can witness myself rising above the cloud of pollution that covers the rest of Southern California. But I know that even in the mountains, my home traps in the contaminants that my family brings inside. Plus, just sleeping one night with my air doctor, I could actually feel the difference. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe-easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to Air Doctor Pro and use promo code MIND, and depending on the model, you'll get up to $300 off. You're saving up to $300. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code MIND. That's promo code M-I-N-D. You know, it's interesting because that's that's one of the practices that I like like doing is to sit down in that moment and identify what are the cues of danger that are in this moment? Because really it is a question of it's not feeling safe enough to your nervous system to come back to um, regulation and reconnect. There's something that gets in the way. What are the cues of danger? And then what are the cues of safety that are, are also there, but you might be missing? 
right? And, and it becomes a, a pretty simple equation, which is what I use. When the cues of safety outweigh the cues of danger, you will re-engage with your partner, right? But when the cues of danger outweigh the cues of safety, it doesn't matter how much your brain says you should or you want to or you need to, your nervous system stays locked in that survival response, right? So it's a question of, okay, how could I reduce some of the cues of danger? And how could I increase or bring in some more cues of safety? And that's not always to say that the cues of danger are environmental. Sometimes everything's completely safe. My husband's just being a normal guy, but it's triggering something that I've experienced in the past. And so when that's happening, you mentioned, how can I reduce some of these cues of danger when they're almost intrinsic? They're, they're so deeply rooted because it's a past trauma. Yeah. What do you do yeah. in those cases? Well, in those cases, part of the practice is to, is to sit down with a piece of paper and begin to write them down. Because as we be, bring curiosity to them and bring them into explicit awareness, we begin to, to notice, oh, from the past, from the past, right? Because a, a familiar flavor of a cue of danger from the past can really easily come alive in the present moment. It happens to us all the time. And then once we've you know, done this, the, I have a discernment question I use with, with people. And it simply is in this moment, in this place, with this person or these people, is this level of response, this intensity of response needed, right? And, we, and so that sort of brings that awareness, that discerning mind into the neuroceptive experience. So it might be, you know, something, a cue from the past in, in the present might be, um, my house is really messy, right? And that's really dysregulating for me. And my husband's standing in the middle of it. And so he gets, you know, <laughs> put right in that. Must be him, right? You know, and when I write these things down on paper, when I look at that one and ask the question, in this moment, you know, in, in this home I'm in with my husband, that intensity of response really isn't needed. It may have been needed when I was 10. Absolutely a survival necessity when I was 10. In this moment, I don't need to be so so crazy about it, right? And as you go through and begin to bring that awareness, your state begins to shift because you begin to feel more in the present moment rather than pulled into the past from those cues. Yeah, I've found that even just understanding where the response is coming from will drastically change how it affects me in the future. And maybe not right away. Well, actually for me, kind of right away. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm able to stop it, but I experience it completely differently because I'm not adding to the story that this is the moment that I need to be on edge. It's like, oh, I'm on edge because of this past thing. And so suddenly I'm thinking about, I'm realizing that I'm safer than I thought I was a second ago. And so I can kind of breathe through it doesn't always happen, especially the first few times. <laughs> Those are the times that I usually feel crazy with the other voice. It's like, I know where this is coming from, but I'm leaning in anyway. <laughs> right. Exactly. And sometimes that's because we're, 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 our resilience is low, right? When our resilience is low because it's been a crazy week or an unrelenting day of, of stuff, or I'm physically not feeling well, we are much more um, prone to go down those um, survival pathways, you know, even though I, I may have the voice that still can recognize, but I don't have I don't have the resilience in my system to make that that U-turn. Yeah, yeah, it happens in two different states. My husband and I realized where we both wouldn't stop. 
One of those is when we were drinking. One of the reasons I don't like drinking anymore, even just like a glass of wine, we were way less likely and we are very good at actually not going too far in our fights. Like we don't fight. I don't know if we've had a fight for longer than an hour in like years, <laughs> but it's because we're both pretty self-aware. We're both compassionate. We share what we're going through. So we're able to see each other's reactions in a different light rather than just how offended we feel or, or whatever. But those drinks would make it worse. And then now pregnancy. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. just the other day, there was something so dumb that I can't even remember what it was. And I was just like, not letting it go. I'm like, well, want to talk about the way you said that to me? <laughs> he's just right. like, right. I'm going to walk upstairs because you're pregnant. And he's like, you okay? And I'm like, maybe, but I might want to talk about this later. <laughs> and it was so ridiculous that I was almost leaning into it as a joke. Like I was like making fun of myself while still just getting it out. And yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to say it felt good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I thought it did. I convinced it, myself it did. It, <laughs> you know, what's interesting is we can ask ourselves and, and, you know, another practice that is so interesting to do is, is to ask your, your nervous system in that moment, you know, before it got to be humorous, but you could ask your nervous system, what worst thing was it protecting you from? Because that's what it's doing. It's keeping you in that place of, of anger, frustration, pushback, whatever, because it thinks if it doesn't, something worse is going to happen, right? That's always what's happening in our survival states. Right. So that's the first question. Then the second question is the opposite. So if you weren't stuck in that, you know, survival energy, that protective energy, what positive thing might emerge? Right. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two things that are going on all the time. And when we can have a bit of, of reflective capacity and, and oftentimes you, like in that moment, you couldn't do it then, but you, you know, return to it and think, oh, what was going on? What was it protecting me from? And what, what did it keep me from? Right. So it's a, it's an interesting exercise to engage in that. What is it protecting me from? I feel like is so helpful in developing that compassion we talked about, but that, what does it keep me from is the thing that will pull me out of almost that addictiveness to that negative energy, because that negative energy is almost always addictive. It's why people like to bring the people around them into the state that they're in. We think it feels good. That's why I changed and was like, well, I thought it felt good because for some reason we do, even though it doesn't, there's no way we're happier when we're mad. <laughs> you know? And so I love the, the really contemplating, even if you do it in a journaling exercise, just sitting there for a second and thinking about it, whatever it is, what could have opened up? And it's almost an entry into like visualization or what could be possible for me if I didn't do this. I can see that even working for negative habits. There's been a lot of random addictions I've overcome, eating disorder, drinking, never really alcoholism, but just the numbing aspect of it and uh, Adderall and nail biting and drugs, yeah. <laughs> all the things. And yeah. uh, that question would have been helpful for moving through all of those. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's interesting because I do love that question. That's, that's, the, that's the hope. What is it keeping me from? And I think we need to start with the, with the um, what is it protecting me from? What worst thing? Like if you think about, I loved how you said drinking, the numbing, right? The numbing of the drinking was protecting you from something much worse happening, right? Maybe it would be a, a, a really sympathetic rage or, a, or a, you know, a, a great big bad decision, right? You know, I, I think about my, my system often protects me. I, I go into sort of a, a dorsal disconnect 
right? And and if I think about it, it's protecting me from the mess I'm going to make if I'm unsympathetic, right? So it's better, you know, my system says it's better to be sort of, you know, numb and not here than it would be if you were, you know, in this sympathetic, angry place, right? It would look far worse there. And then I can do that. And what, it, what was it keeping me, you know, from experiencing the positive thing emerging, right? It was keeping me from feeling you know, connected to the world around me in, in that, that moment. And there was, there was some joy that could have been, been had. So, you know, I think it, it's important to do both, both of those things to, to honor the wisdom of our nervous system in, in working to protect us. And even though it feels really crazy, right? What, what do you mean protecting? It's your nervous system. It's simply doing it. And then to invite in the, the possibility. Yeah. Learning to understand our own cues in all areas of life, I feel like is so critical. I remember when I first started trying to learn how to be a better human, <laughs> I was so focused on changing myself. And what changed was that I began focusing on understanding myself more. And yes, inevitably that led to changes because I was able to see certain things, but the energy was different because I was no longer thinking I needed to be better or that the version of me that I was right now wasn't good enough or wasn't worthy. I was developing compassion for that version of me and also being really thankful that she was the one who started this path for me. And then I just see and then I tweak and and it was more about me feeling better in my body rather than being a more worthy person to the outside world. And so the what we were just talking about and kind of tuning into this, what is keeping me safe or what is this keeping me from such great practices they're also kind of in the middle of a trigger and it might be a, a difficult place to start for some people because they're already sort of overwhelmed with emotion but you have some exercises that help us learn to listen to our autonomic nervous system and practice when we're not currently triggered can you share some of those yeah that is the best time just when we're not you know and and you know both because it makes sense but also biologically when we leave ventral regulation and we move into sympathetic or dorsal survival, our prefrontal cortex goes into hypoactive mode. So it's no longer there with us to problem solve and explore options and create, you know, new stories. So, you know, just realistically, it really is, is a good thing to do upon reflection and then we get better at it. You know, you were just talking about, you know, you, you learn to, to bring self-compassion and then everything felt different. You know, one of the practices that I love to do and, and ask people to do, again, upon reflection, is is the story of three states that I really love. That that if you think of a moment when you were slightly dysregulated, slightly challenged in your day, right? And if you look at it through through your sympathetic survival energy, that ang ang anxiety or anger, and listen to the story that came there, right? So, you know, today was a, a, a day of, of, I've been a long online day, right? And, and I couldn't find a link for, for one of the things I was supposed to do. And if I take that moment, just a simple little moment, right? Which I could make into a huge moment, right? But if we keep it a simple little moment, my sympathetic story was, oh my God, how can you be so stupid? You're never going to find this. And they're, they're going to think that you don't care. And then they're going to stop listening to you. And, you know, you can see the catastrophizing happening. Pretty soon I was unemployed and homeless. <laughs> right. That's the right. That's the sympathetic survival. And if I go to dorsal, that place of, of collapse and shutdown, 
the story about that was, you know, just don't don't even bother looking. You're never going to find it. Just give it up, right? And it was just this despairing give up place. And then if I come to ventral, which is where I eventually got to, and you look at the, you know, the inability to find the link, it's like, I usually come up with some humor. It's like, you know, well, if you ever cleaned out your inbox, you might find it more easily. Or, you know, try using a calendar because you, you have three of them sitting here, you know, but done in a, in a sort of a humorous way rather than a self-critical way, right? And so we can do that with anything, you know, after the fact, we can look back because I still didn't have the link. It had nothing to do with the actual experience. It has to do with the state that you're in. That's the story that you enter into and you begin to think is true. It's the only story. You know, so when we work with our, our you know, our experiences, whether they're traumatic experiences or, or simple experiences, we can't change what happened. What happened, happened. It's never going to change. But my relationship to it, my story about it changes. And that's how we become, you know, a healthier human. Not by, not by rewriting the history of what happened to us, but by creating a different narrative about it, by being in relationship with it differently. So Story of Three States is one that I encourage people to, you know, to do, to get to know how their experience changes so drastically because of the state that they're in. We also talked about how we're really affected by other people, by their nervous systems, but also really about just our longing for connection. So it's not even just about the energy of the people around us. It's that we need that connection. And this is something I relate to. I've actually been posting on Instagram a lot about this because this last year, I just feel more connected than I ever have in my life. And part of it is there's something about having a baby that all of a sudden shifts your priorities in so many ways. And so now I'm focused on creating the community of moms and which then trickles down to all of my other friendships and just how important those are. And, and I'm, I think I'm seeing what I'm, what we're supposed to eventually see about life rather than chasing the wealth or, or chasing these goals. And so in my twenties though, I didn't see that at all. And I was always lonely, but I was always with people. And it was because it wasn't a sustainable bond. A lot of the times, like we we're partying or drinking or whatever. And, yeah, I could have a hundred people to party with that night, but no one willing to take me to the airport <laughs> needed, but it was LA. So I'll cut them some slack. No one likes going to the LA airport, but how does our connection with other people and the world around us affect our nervous systems? our connection with other people and the world around us affect our nervous systems? Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great way to think about things that we can be lonely, surrounded by people, or we can feel profoundly connected with just one other person in our life, right? And, and so it's not the number of, of people, it's the, it's the quality of the connection. Does it nourish your nervous system, right? Or, or is it, you know, is it simply a, a social thing you do, right? Because there's a different. And so you know, solitude, we all need solitude, right? And which is this moment of being safely connected by ourselves, not loneliness, solitude. And then there's loneliness. So that's one end. 
On the other end, there's social, socially connected and engaged, and then there's too social, right? And so we have all of these different flavors of, of connection, and it's our job to, to figure out in this moment, what am I longing for, right? And, and if we think about a continuum of solitude to social, we all are somewhere on that continuum, and we naturally land somewhere, like I naturally land more on the solitude end. I don't need as much social connection as some of my friends do. And yet I can't just live in solitude. I also need social connection, you know, but to, but to stop trying to be what I'm not, which really helped me. Like I would look out and see everybody who was, you know, being social and doing these things. And I thought I should be doing that too. When my nervous system said, that's not what's nourishing for it. Right. As soon as you hear yourself saying should, you want to stop because should, it's not a regulating connecting word. It's, it's a survival word right? I should, I need to, I have to, those are survival words. So, you know, I'd like to, or I want to, or I'm curious about those are, you know, connecting words. So, you know, we want to find our own place on this solitude to social continuum. And then we want to find the people who, you know, I call them, you know, I have this practice of ventral vagal anchors. And the first ventral vagal anchors that I ask people to look for are who, you know, who is a person in your life? who you just feel safe and comfortable around, right? You, you feel welcome. You can come in your messiness or in your regulation, right? You're the person you can call at two in the morning and they would come. They might not drive you to the LA airport, but they would come, right? <laughs> they would appear, right? That's a ventral vagal anchor. And I think we all need one of those in our life. And one may be enough for, for people, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the social connection piece, the who. And the who... You know, because people are dangerous. That's what our nervous system learned for many of us. People are dangerous. And so trusting another to be a predictably regulated, welcoming being is challenging. And, you know, you may, you may start with your, with your dog or cat. For many of my clients, many of the people I worked with, that's where they started, right? Their dog or their cat was, was the dependable mammalian being that they that they would connect to you know and then we would branch out from there but yeah we, we need somebody we're, we're we're wired to be safe in connection with another being right and we can't fully experience well-being without that so you know and it maybe should be one it's okay right so yeah it's a and again i think the question really that i i love is you know what does my nervous system need in this moment what feels nourishing and what feels nourishing to me and nourishing to you may be very different, right? So I have to trust what my nervous system is telling me. I love that question because I've framed it before in sort of weeding out who I wanted in my life versus not, because I definitely had to go through a pruning process when I was aging and moving through stages. I was just such a party girl. And so uh, there were some friendships that I held on to I think a little too long. And so then it was like constantly friction. And I used to ask myself, is this relationship, does this relationship give me energy or does it deplete my energy? And I still think that's a really powerful question. But when you framed your question with what is nourishing to my nourishing to my nervous system, different people came up because it's such this sense of calm. And maybe that is energy because usually I can almost feel it tingling on my skin, but I'm also so calm. And so it's it's this different way to look at it. I have specific people that came to mind where you just feel loved. Yeah, I can show up 
as the worst version of me and I can show up as the best and I feel accepted. I don't feel like I need to be any other way. They're just like a loving arms to go into. So I really like that framing of it. One of the things you talked about when talking about that connection was something called prosody. And I thought that was really fascinating because I've never heard of it, but that our nervous system actually listens to the sounds of our own vocal intonations. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's listening to, 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 you know, prosody is your tone of voice, right? We, we, I love to think about it as the music of the voice. So, you know, the, there was a great experiment where people recorded um, a story about themselves, you know, and so they knew the story and they knew what it felt like. And then it was computer altered so that it was played back with a different tone of voice, a different prosody and their, their felt sense of the story changed was so fast, even though they knew this is my story, it didn't matter. And this is what happens with, with, you know, other people's tone of voice, like your tone of voice lands in my nervous system as safe and welcoming. So I'm going to connect with you. If your tone of voice, for whatever reason, maybe it reminds me of something from my past, or maybe it's, it, it's, you know, maybe, you know, people have more monotone voices. Monotone voice is biologically a cue of danger. So it doesn't matter what you're feeling behind it. If it's monotone, it's sending a cue of danger. But the nervous system turns into the intonation of someone's voice and makes a decision, right? Connect, not connect, approach, avoid, listen, not listen, right? It's so fascinating. And that is part of our biological social engagement system, tone of voice. The way our, our eyes send messages, that's wired into your biology, right? You can send a welcome or a warning through your eyes, right? And then the way your head moves, Right? like our heads are moving, they're turning and tilting, that's a cue of safety to another nervous system. If our heads don't move, it's a cue of danger. Even though it may just be that I have a stiff neck, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, I could tell you that, but your nervous system takes it in as danger. So all of these, you know, things that are wired in to our social engagement system are sending cues all the time that we don't, we don't really pay much attention to. We just talk. Right. But, it, you know, you think if a, a parent, you know, is, is talking to a child or, or if I'm talking to my partner and, you know, you know, I'm they say how, you know, maybe my partner says, how are you? And I say, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> you know, I said I'm fine, but my prosody said something very different. My prosody told my partner, my nervous system is dysregulated. Right. There was a sympathetic edge to that or I'm fine. There's a dorsal, you know, don't really care going on or, oh, I'm fine, right? A ventral, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, right? So it, it's the tone of voice that we say conveys the, the, the intention underneath the words. So funny because my husband and I often talk about tone. It's apparently known in his family, his dad always had a tone, like the, the ongoing joke would him be yelling, I'm not mad, why do you think I'm mad? <laughs> and so, all of his kids have kind of carried that with them too. And he's yeah. like, and so we'll get in these little disagreements and I'm like, well, what is your tone? And he's like, I've already told you the the tone can't matter with me because it it's just always a thing. It's a thing with all my siblings. I'm fine. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but that is not something that I'm going to accept. I don't, I don't know if I believe you. I don't know if, if this is just a really great way to dismiss all the times that you snap, <laughs> but not that it happens very often, but um, 
Yeah. Now you, can, now you can tell them that, that your brain might might take that in, but your biology is never going to take that in. It's yeah, so happening. you need to fix it, not me. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to neuroception. Mm-hmm. You call it basically our, the embodied surveillance system that is broadcasting important information that's just below that surface of awareness. What are some of the ways that we can bring perception up? greater perception to our own neuroception. Yeah, and and that really is the, you know, the the key to to awareness is to because the autonomic nervous system works automatically, thank goodness. I don't want to have to think that I have to make my heart beat every moment or my lungs expand. You know, however, you know, there are all these other things going on below the level of awareness that I do want to pay attention to like, you know, what is, what is my eye gaze saying at the moment? Right. What what is my tone of voice sharing with another person? You know, I I was talking to my husband the other day and, and he said, you know, you don't have to yell at me. And I said, I'm not yelling. And I truly my voice was not, you know, was not high. I was there was no yelling in, in the volume, but what he was getting, what was underneath, I, I was cranky. And so he was you know, he said it as yelling when it really, you know, was, yeah, I've, I've got some I'm a bit cranky at the moment. Right. And so, you know, to find ways to, to, yes, except when others, you know, point that out to us, it's harder, but to find ways to, to sit and notice for a moment for ourselves, you know? And so, you know, I think, I think one of the things that we get good at doing is I call it the notice and name practice, you know, get good at stopping randomly during the day and just notice where's my nervous system right now. Right. If in you know, if I had done that before interacting with my husband, I would have noticed, oh, I've got a lot of sympathetic, you know, frustration going on, right? Which is going to impact this conversation. So let me take a breath, let me, you know, go out for a walk, let me do whatever it is so that I can come to regulation before I have the conversation. Right. So notice where you are, name it, and then decide, you know, if I'm if I'm venturing into a survival state, what could I do to bring a bit more regulation, right? And maybe there's nothing I can do right now, which then says, don't engage with whatever you were going to do, right? Take yourself away or wait until later or name it for the other person. Like you and your husband, you could say, you know, I can't have this conversation right now because I'm unable to be present, Mm. right? Not unwilling, but I, I, I just, my biology won't let me be here right now. So those are the ways that we can begin to use this understanding of the nervous system and, and create this language and this um, understanding with other people, because then we're, you know, we're speaking the same language, we're on the same page, and we can find our way together to um, regulation and connection and, you know, a, a, I don't know, I keep saying a kinder world, but I do think that's what we need right now. You know, if we can find a way to have more people um, coming to regulation, then the world will feel like a safer place. For sure. I was just having a conversation with some of my other mom friends and somebody said they took a workshop. I asked what the, what their biggest takeaway was. And she said, just learning a different side of the idea of never going to bed angry. And this person was saying, go to bed angry. Like you don't want to force yourself to have this conversation. And it's so true because when we're in that fight or flight state, we, actually do not have the ability to think logically. And so we're not going to be able to see the other person's side, 
anchor ourselves into safety. And so rarely do I get in a fight right before bed. So I don't think I still need to go to bed angry. However, my husband and I both know, I think men in general like to do the, let's solve this right now more often. At least that's been my pattern that I've seen. Whereas I know that I need to take a few minutes so I can calmly say, I don't need to angrily storm off because that'll just trigger a whole nother thing. But I am stepping away to take a few deep breaths, to meditate for a minute, and then we'll talk about this. And it's pretty easy to be understanding when somebody's just voicing their boundaries that way. It's nice because you say, you don't just say, I need to go away, but you say, and I'll be back. Yeah. Right. That's the piece that, you know, I can't do this right now. I can do it as soon as I find my way to a bit more regulation. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me and my system. And as soon as I find my way back, then we can have that. Yeah, because you can't make a repair until you're regulated. It's impossible. You can't do it. So, yeah, I love that you said that. You know, I'm going to step away. I'm going to do this. And and then we can then we can talk. That's lovely. That's very that's a cue of safety to another nervous system. Right. You're not abandoning me. You're not saying this doesn't matter. You're saying you need some time and you will come back. That's really beautiful. So for that time that we take away, I'd love to leave listeners with a practice that they can then try at home. And you have a bunch of them. But what is a practice that we can focus on this week? that will just help our nervous systems anchor into safety? I mean, I think finding our own anchors is probably one that I um, appreciate because I can't always reach out for somebody else. Sometimes I can. So I have a person or I have a couple of people in my life who have been with me on this journey for a long time and I can simply send them an emoji and they know, right? And they'll just send me an emoji back because I don't want a great big anything. I just want to know I'm not alone. Right. So that's a who, you know, uh, uh, we, we have, you know, I call them touchstones, which are these these objects that we can hold on to that remind us that I do have ventral energy. Right. For me, it's beach stones because I love the beach and I, you know, often grab a beach stone that's a reminder of, oh, right. Ventral does exist inside inside me. Right. And then, you know, places places you can go that reminds you that's the where. where where's a place where when you're there you just feel oh okay you know it's that reminder we can reach reach for regulation because that's what we're needing to do and again our systems all do it differently so you know touchstones um people movement music right music is an easy one you know you have certain music that you love and you know you can create a playlist and you can just you know, play your playlist because music will will take you to that place of feeling regulated. It's, it's again, create a menu, right? It's really what I tell people to do because our menus are, are personal to us and they're a way that our nervous system says, yes, oh, this, you know, and I need a menu because sometimes I do want to go out and, and stand in nature, right? And other times I can't get outside, so I'm going to you know, turn on some music and other times I don't have access to music and I'm going to, you know, grab a, grab a beach stone. So I have to have choice in order to be able to, to, you know, find my way in that moment to regulation. So I guess the, it's not a very productive answer to your question, but I guess the, the thing that I would invite, you know, your listeners to do would be to experiment and see if they can find three or four things to put on their personal menu that reliably when they can reach for and have a reminder that, oh yeah, my nervous system knows how to find the way to regulation. It knows what that is. I appreciate that because 
that's one of the things that I teach is, is having the choice. And it was because in the beginning of trying to grow, I would learn a way to be or something to do, a method, and it would work really well. And then it would stop working. And I would just think, oh, well, this was crap. Or, oh, I'm just not the type of person that can continue growing in this way. And I'd end up beating myself up. What I realize and know now is that I need to switch things up. And it reminds me of this story I used to tell of this guy told me how he bought his mom a a Fitbit <laughs> or his mom asked for a Fitbit or bought a Fitbit, something like that. And, and he was like, mom, don't you know that those Fitbits are only like people generally only really use them for three months and then it ends up being a waste of money. And she's like, well, perfect. I've got this three months covered and I'll find something else for the next three months. And I'm like, that is exactly how I am. I recently switched productivity journals because, and I love the last one and I will probably go back to it, but I just needed to switch it up because I was getting bored of my old routine. And so now I just know it's based on my mood and it ends up motivating me to check in with myself more so then just reach for something outside of myself anyways. Like, oh, I, I feel triggered, I need to go on a run, or I feel triggered, I need to do yoga. It's like, okay, well, what kind of trigger is this? How am I really feeling? What do I feel like I need? And that in itself is a practice that can begin the regulation on its own. And so mine are either doing a little yoga flow, sometimes going on a walk. A lot of times that works, but sometimes it doesn't because it almost, I will find myself walking angrily and adding to the story. And I'm like, no, I need something else in my mind. So the music will be helpful. But right now I actually have it on my desk. I have this little ball called the reflect orb and you put your fingers on it and the light changes color based on biofeedback. And so it'll tell you when you get to calm. <laughs> and I got this as a gift. And honestly, the amount of times that I've used it <laughs> because I have a toddler and I'm like, and it starts out like bright purple and then it'll go to blue and it's it's actually pretty awesome. So those are my techniques, but we have so much to work with from today's episode. And I feel like we definitely got an even greater understanding of just the way that our bodies and our nervous systems work. So for listeners that are interested in learning even more and possibly reading your book, where's the best place for them to connect? Oh, just come to my website. There's lots of stuff there, rhythmofregulation.com. Um, and, and there's things for clinicians, there's things for curious human beings, and uh, come visit, see what's there. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 284. Your challenge for this week is to actually do a little exercise that I sent you in the morning mind love this morning. So it's all about practicing anchoring your nervous system. If you don't already subscribe to The Morning Mind Love, you can subscribe at mindlove.com, just right there on the homepage, or you can text the word morning to 33777. But I lead you through a very short and easy exercise to practice anchoring your nervous system. And it's so short and easy that it's something that you can take with you in the future something that you can practice over and over again whenever you do feel your nervous system dysregulated. However, it's also really great practice when you're not already in that moment of crisis, when you're not already triggered. That's when it becomes much more helpful because you don't have that natural tendency to resist. You want the progress. And so 
Kind of like when you're in elementary school practicing fire drills before there's a fire. <laughs> if you give your body and mind the steps to walk through when you aren't in fight or flight, then it's going to have an easier time doing that when something big does happen. So check out today's Morning Mind Love for that exact exercise. I've been practicing it all week and it's been really, really helpful. So let me know what you think about it. You can go ahead and reply right in the Morning Mind Love and let me know, or you can reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. And if for some reason you have a hard time finding it or you aren't subscribed, reach out to me on Instagram and I'll send it over. If you are interested in any of my sponsors in this episode, you can find all of those sponsors at mindlove.com sponsors. I also have a really exciting brand new membership with all sorts of exciting masterclasses that are just continuously being added to throughout the year. So not only did we get two in January, but we have two in February as well. And so these are really great ways to integrate what we learn in the show into your real life because it's one thing to just listen. It's another thing to take action. Action is where the integration happens. This is where the real change occurs. So if you've been looking for someone to hold your hand through some of this, or you've been thinking that you need a coach or dabbled with the idea of a therapist, not saying that I'm a therapist whatsoever, but there are many of you that I know feel like therapy didn't work for you, or it's not something you're interested in, especially if you're someone like me. And so for me, it's really helpful to have those self-coach practices that I can do on my own time that will move me forward. That is how I have done all of my transformation for the most part is by learning and then actually applying the things that I've learned. So the Mind Love membership is such a wonderful way to do that because you can do it on your own time and we walk you through step by step. So that's at mindlove.com membership. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.